I want you to get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to pick up where I left off last week, but I need to highlight something for you that is important. I wanted to mention that the reason we're doing this series on self, on me, on you, is because never, at least in my lifetime, has the atmosphere, the cultural atmosphere, been so ripe for confusion about identity. I mean, I mean last time I checked, Google now has 84, I think, different identifiers for, it used to be simple, male and female. Now there's 84 choices you have to be confused. Isn't that incredible? And they said it's growing. They're excited about that. So I'm just trying to learn people's names in here. And, um, and if you could imagine 84 different identities, not even names. Like now I got to put a pronoun with you that I've never heard of before, and I don't plan on learning. So, I mean, I'm in for a big trouble. We've never been more ripe for confusion about identity than we are right now. So how many of you know it's important that we get back to doctrine? Because doctrine puts us on solid ground. And last week, we were in Romans chapter 1, which is some really, really great doctrine. Because we're asking the question, what makes me, me? What makes you, you? Are, Are we products of the providence of God? or of personal preference? Do you get to define who you are and make up who you are, be whoever you are? Or has God determined those things in advance for us? Are we part of design or are we simply products of desire? Much of the argumentation now about gender and about identity is in the realm of desire. If you feel this way, if you think this way, if, you, if you're, you're authentically feel like you're X, Y, or Z, then that's who you are. And our job is to cheer and celebrate that identity based on your feelings? Or, or is there some design here? Now, in, Ro- in Romans chapter 1, we said nature teaches us some very important things. And God says you have to pay attention to the created realm. In other words, it's God's glory going on display. God has chosen to reveal important aspects of who he is through nature. In fact, the Bible says his invisible qualities are made manifest so that we can know about this God who is a spirit, an invisible God. We can see what he is like based on looking at the material created world. Now, the issue came up, though, that not only can we learn about the world and the norms that God has established, but we also learn about ourselves sexually. And what we learned last week from Romans chapter 1 is you can understand some basic things about your identity just by paying attention to nature. In other words, God said the women started doing very unnatural things with other women, talking about sexual relationships, women with women. Of course, we're talking about lesbianism. Uh, And then he said men gave up their natural desires for women. Notice the word that's used twice in this passage is natural or nature. God is establishing a norm. Norms are like fences. You don't cross them. There's consequences on the other side when you live inconsistently with the normal way of nature. So God said men are having sexual relationships with men and the result is terrible and it's something that God's not pleased with. And in fact, even though he says you know this is wrong, every human being, you know this is wrong, you are without excuse because you are willfully suppressing what you know to be the truth. This is a powerful statement. So we can either argue with God, God, that's really not true. I have a friend and you can argue with God or you can get back to doctrine and principle and say, I'm gonna to choose to believe God over my friend. Yes, 
Because can I just tell you, this is where most of the testimony falls apart. Well, I have this person I work with and she's real nice. We're not, we're not talking about whether people are nice. Oh, I know this guy and you know, yeah, he's almost, but he's so funny. We're not talking about whether the person's funny. We're talking about what they do. We're talking about a behavior. Now, this is very important. You know, we do a worldview-based podcast, and one of the things that we teach is if your worldview is based on a lie, eventually it will implode upon itself. I'm going to show you a worldview implosion right before your eyes right now. You excited about that? I love, I love fireworks, Brad. I love explosions. I, I love all of that. This is a worldview explosion right before your eyes. If somebody's a practicing homosexual, I would say you're, you're acting in a way that's unhealthy and it's not pleasing to God and it will never lead to bringing God glory or bringing you maximum satisfaction. They would say, it's not a behavior, it's my identity. And here's the lie that our culture has embraced. We, we remove sex from being a behavior to being an identity. So if I said you shouldn't do that, they would say that's just who I am and I'm offended that you're attacking me, you bigot, you homophobe. And I say I'm not attacking you, I'm talking about what you do. Well, you can't separate what I do from who I am because who I am determines what I do and this is who I am so you need to deal with it. Isn't that what we're told? Well, listen to the CDC. U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Friday, like two days ago, updated its monkeypox advice to suggest that people most at risk, namely men who have sex with men. Now, didn't we just talk about that last Sunday? And didn't God have something to say about that in Romans chapter one? He said, namely men who have sex with men, now listen to this quote, take a temporary break from those behaviors to help contain the outbreak. Now this is, this is insanity. If I said, hey, all of you who are practicing this type of sexual behavior, stop it, because you're killing yourself and you're a threat to public health, I would be called a homophobe. Come on. <laughs> but the CDC, the CDC in the most gentle way possible, just address behavior, and they said take a temporary break from a disease that produces pus bubbles all over your body and that will kill you. Just take a temporary break. Now this is insane because what they just said was stop being yourself. Stop being yourself. Stop identifying as a homosexual. Stop saying this is just who I am and who are you to tell me. The CDC just nicely said, could you just take a break? Now let me ask you a question for any rational thinking person in this room. How do we know when the break's over? (laughs) And listen, who in their right mind would go back to a behavior that is killing you and producing disease 
why in the world would you not take a break? Why would you take a break forever from that lifestyle? Let me tell you why. Because we all realize at the end of the day, it's not about logic or rationality. It is about wicked human hearts who suppress the truth. Listen, because you're in bondage. This is why you need a savior. This is why we need the gospel. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, listen to the suggestions here from the CDC. And I already gave you advice last week. And this is why you shouldn't just listen to the CDC. Well, the CDC said living stones should be closed. I don't care. Here's why I don't care. Here's why I don't care. Among the updates are suggestions that people, quote, take a temporary break from sexual activity until you're vaccinated. Oh, if we find a vaccine for this, you can keep acting that way until they limit the the number of sexual partners. I think God established a norm for sexual expression. Didn't he he express a norm? It's called marriage. Avoid spaces for anonymous sex with multiple partners. Are you kidding me? Here's the CDC promoting blatant sexual perversion in the face of what the Bible says. Can you see why the church is the biggest pain in the rear end to culture? Because we're the ones that say, we ain't listening to that because there's a higher authority. And lastly, use condoms and wear gloves. (laughs) We're talking about stuff I don't even know what they're talking about. Because the Bible says that when you reject the truth about who God is and about what God has revealed, you start giving awards to people who do the worst things best. People who do the worst things best. So here we have a health organization giving guidance that will kill you. But when the next disease comes out and your pastor's saying, doors are open, we'll see you here at 8.30, hallelujah, three services, Uh, there's reason for that because God's authority always trumps all of these world's authorities and you need to believe it. As it relates to identity, this is important, you're created by God, you're not an accident. God created you with intention and purpose in mind. This is huge. Your life is not an accident. Can I just connect some dots for you? What if we apply, you know, I was disturbed with so many of our pro-life Christian legislators who completely missed the sanctity of life issues theologically. He said, well, we're not supposed to bring our theology into our pulpit. You're gonna bring, or into the state house. You're, you're gonna bring somebody's theology into the state house. Who are you kidding? We just have a basis for our morality. Everybody else makes theirs up as they go, so don't fall for that one. But here's the point. If you're created by God, every human life is valuable and has a purpose. So where do we have the right to destroy life for certain exemptions or exceptions? Unless we're involved in aesthetic kind of make up your values as you go emotionalism, where are the hard rock principles that define our policy? We get them from the Bible. So here's a point, God created you. I said last week, you're a poem written by God for God, which means each one of you in this room are unique in your own right, you're a masterpiece, and you exist to bring God glory. You exist to honor him, that's why you're here. 
If you don't get that, you will miss the purpose of your existence and waste your life. Young people, I cannot stress this enough. Every teenager in this place, if you do not know God and submit to God's purpose for your life, you will waste your life. And I can't think of anything worse than to go through life and waste it. So turn with me now. I got you in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to talk about being image bearers today. If we ever hope to truly know ourselves, that is our identity, we got to have a clear understanding of our roots. And when I talk about roots, I'm talking about where do we come from and who did we come from. How many of you know there's this whole emergence of these uh, organizations now? You can pay a fee, and they will tell you all about your family tree. Have any of you ever done that? It's cool stuff. I'd, I would like to do that at some point in time, figure out, like, are there any branches of my family tree we need to cut off or not talk about? Are there, are there other branches that are like, yeah, look who I came from, woo-hoo, um, because where we came from matters, all right? Where we came from matters. It's the same thing as it relates to our identity in God. We need to know our genealogy because our identity comes from our ancestry. And here's another radically important principle. We're going to get into this in a couple of weeks. But when you go back up all of our family trees, if you trace it back far enough, you ready for this? We got the same dad, which is the foundation for racial unity in the body of Christ and in culture. We have the same dad. So ideas have consequences. And if you get rid of good theology, you get into really bad uh, practical ortho- orthopraxy in the church, right? Bad orthodoxy, bad orthopraxy. And one simply means what you believe determines how you act. And so check this out. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, verse 26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky. Let me just pause right there. That word reign is so important because it talks about our identity. We're going to get into that a few weeks down the road. We're going to be reigning. That's part of who we are. It's part of our identity. And look at verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm going to get into some male-female stuff in a couple of weeks, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. But here's what I want you to see. This is God Almighty speaking. Then God said when God says something we need to stop and pay close attention when the Bible makes a declaration then God said how many you know what comes next is critically important for living a successful God-honoring life then God said so God's starting his poem of redemption uh, with a very important declaration regarding human beings, all right? And I'm going to give you, now, I, I joked around first service, this is where the PowerPoint ends because, sure enough, I completely reworked my sermon after I'd already sent it to Sherry. Sherry, I'm sorry, but it will be coming up. The rest of this will be, you'll be, you'll be seeing it in weeks to come. So now we got to do the hard work because I'm going off the trail, four-wheeling right here, all right? Spiritual four-wheeling. But I'm going to give you this, all worthy of some note-taking, though, so take some notes, write it down. Important stuff, not because it's mine, but because it's God's. Number one, now this sounds so basic to us, but there's incredible implications. You are made by God. You're not an accident. You're a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. Now, I shared about this before, but to me it's absolutely stunning. When I say that you are God's favorite, that is not just me being cute, I'm being accurate. When we think of favorite, we think of comparison. And so what we say is, well, how could I be God's favorite? Because there's... 8 billion people on planet Earth, and he loves everybody, so how can I be God's favorite? Let me tell you why you're God's favorite. There's no one to compare you to. Because there will never be anybody like you ever again, because you are a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. 
Now, how much of this mindless drivel we have out in public where you're special and we give you a sticker, but nobody knows why you're special. You're just special. Most of the morals that are being proclaimed by morons in the public today, Marion's gonna get me on this one. She goes, don't use that word. It was accurate, all right? We have all this moral language, but no foundation for it. When I tell you you're special, I'm being theologically sound because you're the only you that ever exists and will ever exist. You're a unique expression of the glory of God. So your specialness is unparalleled. I don't need to give you a smiley sticker. I just need to preach the gospel to you. You are God's favorite. Can you just let that sink in? When I say, what's a masterpiece? It's something that cannot be replicated. It's a one-of-a-kind work. That's why, that's why paintings that are masterpieces are masterpieces. You can't, make, you can't run that through the photocopier and make 100 copies. You are a masterpiece. You're only a masterpiece if you're made in the image of God. If you evolved, you are a worthless piece of garbage. You're an accident. You're an animal. You're going to die and return to dust. You came from nowhere. You're going nowhere. You have no purpose. You have no meaning. You have no dignity. You have no nothing. You are a cosmic accident. Why are we teaching this garbage to our young people? And why are so many young people taking their lives when uh, we're preaching them a theology that is godless and humanistic in origin? The amount of information contained in just one of our human cells equals the entire 30-volume set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Do you all remember the Encyclopedia? Everybody would buy them, and you'd put them on your shelf. And I don't know anybody that ever cracked one open or read it, but they were on your shelf, and people would walk in and go, wow, you got the Encyclopedia Britannica on you. That was before, that was before the Internet, all right, when people had these massive bookcases with all these books. One cell in your body has enough information to fill the entire set of the Encyclopedia Britannica several times over. We're talking about at least 90 volumes high. Where did that information come from and how did it happen? By accident. It can't happen by accident. It's an insult to the creator. That's the kind of handiwork that's been gone into making you, you. I think we better focus on our identity in Christ and in the Word and in our identity to our Heavenly Father and get this garbage out of our heads. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we meet no ordinary people in our lives. So you're going, Pastor, how come at Living Stones you have this tradition where everybody stops and they run around and hug each other? Is it just a tradition? No. It's doctrinally sound. I want you to take time to look at the masterpieces and the greatness that you're surrounded with because you're surrounded with people made in the image and likeness of God. They're precious people. They're not ordinary people. They're extraordinary masterpiece people. Look in their eyes, see the glory of God, give them a big hug, and let them know how much you love them and appreciate them. That's why we do that because we're intentional about loving people made in the image of God. Y'all with me? So we're going, yeah, this is great. This is our identity time. I'm a masterpiece, and I get to hug a room full of masterpieces. That's exactly it. Now you're catching on to the spirit. 
Second big principle here, we said you were made by God. Secondly, you were made for God. This is huge. When God said he made us in his image to be like us, meaning the Trinity, to be like us, he created us in his image so he could have relationship. We're gonna get into this in the weeks to come and really dive down deeply, but God made you to know you and for you to know him, which is amazing and it's unprecedented in all the world religions. None of them have this theology. And here's what we're going to drill in today, all right, in the time that we have left. You were made to image God. Now, we're talking about identity. I just said part of our identity is to image God. Well, pastor, what does that mean? How many know we're surrounded by images today all around us? If I walked into your house, I would see beautiful, you know, pictures maybe hanging on your wall, decorations, uh, signs. Uh, Pastor Dick and Susie always bless me with a sign. If you go in my office, you'll see a sign. You can never have too many books, all right? I love that sign. I think it's totally true. And uh, you can tell something about people by the images that they surround themselves with. When you go overseas, you go to India, you'll find pictures, artifacts of all their gods everywhere in their house on the streets. It tells you something about what they worship, all right? Images. If you drive down the, the highway, what do we see? Billboards. Images, images, images. Everywhere we go, images. So I think we get very numb to images. But, but what are images? Images, ready for this? There's a powerful definition. Images are things that image. <laughs> think about it. Images are things that image. Well, what do I mean by that? Have any of you had your kids come home, they're all excited, they're maybe from Sunday school or whatever it is, but they bring you a picture that they just colored. And they say, look, Dad, look. And I said, man, that's an incredible elephant. And they they said, Daddy, that's not elephant, that's you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 I see it, I I see it. Usually your head's like this big, and you got really big eyes. You got these little arms that are shooting out from the side of your head, right? And they got big hands. And then you got these little stubby legs. And then in my situation, they would always make hair sticking out, little stubby things coming out of my head. And they say, it's you. See, I learned, you get to be as smart as a parent. You don't tell them what it is. You let them tell you what it is. And then that way you save face. I'm like, oh, that is the best picture of daddy. And, and really you're lying because that image does not accurately reflect the object. Now, they could be aspiring, budding artists. They're gonna grow into it. But at the moment, you're like, wow, all right? Because here's the point, a sculpture or a painting of a person should image them so that you know automatically when you see it, that's so-and-so. Makes sense. So when God's saying we're images, he's saying something really profound. He's saying that when you look at this picture, you're gonna see something about his glory and greatness. Whoa, what a privilege. I want you to think about this with me. People do not go through the pain and the expense of just simply painting everyone or making sculptures out of marble out of anyone. In fact, I tried to do a little bit of research and find out what is the most common sculpture and what person, you know, is being imaged in that sculpture. Like, you know, it was a little bit interesting trivia I was trying to find. Could not find that, but I did find this. Does anybody know what the most important well-known sculpture of human history is, this was on at least one list, Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty, representing freedom. Amazing concept, right? There she is with her torch standing there there, uh, on a pedestal in a prominent place because this is important. I want you to hear this. You, You image those or make images of people who are heroic, who are honorable, who have made a massive contribution uh, to society. 
You don't just walk up and say, hey, there's so-and-so, some guy you never met before, you don't know anything about him. They don't make sculptures about people like that. They make sculptures about people who, have, who are heroic. We read about them in history. When you make this sculpture at great expense, say it's a marble sculpture, you don't put it in a closet somewhere. You put it out in a prominent place. Why? You want everybody to see it. So you put it in a prominent place. You also take your kids to the sculpture and you say, that's so-and-so, and you tell them about what they did and why that sculpture is made of them and why sculptures are important in the first place, right? Because you want to pass that knowledge down from generation to generation to generation. Are you tracking with me? Let's tie this back to the image of God. You and I being created in the image of God. Images glorify. When God creates human beings, he designed them in a way that would image himself. Now, I want you to think about this. Right now, there are about 8 billion people on planet Earth who God says are images, or I'm just going to use a word that we know, well, little statues. Now, we're not marble statues. We're living statues. But I want you to think about this. God created, just currently, 8 billion statues of himself. Uh Connect some dots here. If I said, hey, you guys, I want all of you to cash up, you know, turn into some big cash for the offering because we're going to make a bunch of marble statues of me. We're going to put them all around the property here. It'll, it'll cost big bucks, but I'm worth it. You'd probably be looking for a new church, all right? And you should be. How many of you know in the Bible, any person that made statues of themselves did not end well? So, so you never want to be the guy that's saying, hey, make a statue of me. Now, think about God. God says, I am currently on planet Earth. I'm going to have 8 billion images of me. Here's the question I want. What does that say about the greatness of God? I mean, you see David, Michelangelo's David. You know, there he is standing there. Spectacular. David. We're still talking about David. In fact, God promised David that his fame would continue on for the generations. But David's fame compared to God's fame, it doesn't even compare. Remember, you make statues to honor. What does it say that you're made in the image of God, that God's serious about being honored? What does it say about the importance of God, that God's greatness is unparalleled? God wants to put the statues in prominent places where you cannot miss him. And what does it say that we're to tell the next generation and the next generation? See, when a baby is conceived in her mother's womb, that child is a living image and testimony of the greatness and glory of God. It is a privilege for a woman to carry a child. No man should say that. Oh, be quiet. You're a liberal feminist. Shut your mouth. It is a privilege for a woman to carry a child made in the image and likeness of God. It is one of the highest privileges, and the fact that I'm a male, and I'm saying this, has nothing to do with truth. That's another stupid cultural lie. It is a privilege. It is a privilege for that baby to come into the world and have been protected and honored and loved, not because we attach some artificial value. See, this is what bugs me. I'm just connecting some dots for you. One of the exemptions was fetal anomaly. That means, let me put it in layman's terms, the baby is not perfect. There's some health issues. So you know what we're telling our culture today? We run around in our schools saying, you're special, you're special, you're special. 
And then we teach them to be pro-abortion and to kill babies that aren't perfect. Does anybody see a problem here? You talk about sending a mixed message. I was born with severe club feet. Can I just say, I was born with a deformity. Does my life value to God? Am I a masterpiece like you? Did God entrust my mother with me knowing that she would love me and care for me and my father would love me and care for me in spite of my deformity and that God still had a purpose and destiny for my life? Or was my value based on my perfection physically? I'm asking. Because if you have to be perfect to be born, we're sending some really scary messages about identity to our culture. And if we're telling people that it's a burden to bear children, when last time I checked, ladies, can I just say this? Part of your design, and I'm getting ahead of myself, part of your design in your body, the reason women don't struggle as much with identity as men is because the very nature of you maturing and developing in your womanhood gives you indications about what you have that men don't have. What capacities you have that we don't have because we're different and we have purpose. But don't let anybody lie to you and tell you that being pregnant and having a baby is a curse or a burden or any of that nonsense. In God's eyes, it is the greatest privilege imaginable because you're raising up a statue to display his glory. Is it hard? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. I was there with my wife for every single delivery. I understand. Trust me. But don't let any of the challenges to bring that baby into the world ever tell you that somehow that is not an incredible privilege that God has blessed women with. That was not in my notes. That was supposed to be coming down the road. But that was good right there. That was good. You and I are living, breathing, singing, speaking, moving images representing the invisible God in this world. That is amazing. John Piper said this, the climax of God's happiness is the delight he takes in the echoes of his excellence and the praises of his saints. This is so good. The climax of God's happiness, in other words, what makes God most happy is when you and I are doing that which he created us to do. How many of you know when we sing these great worship songs on Sunday morning, we're just echoes. God was the original, thus saith the Lord. God, when God speaks, stuff happens. When God said, let there be, that is the voice of the creator giving life to everything else. So check this out. When I have a song that comes through somebody's creative genius, inspired by the Holy Spirit, out of my heart, out of my mouth, I'm echoing back to the Father the praises of his people. And there's no greater moment for God than hearing all of us made in his image and likeness reflecting back to him his awesome greatness and power. Y'all hearing me on this? Worship is such a privilege. You cannot fulfill the identity of your being unless you're a worshiper. You might as well be a marble statue. And I've seen people on Sunday morning that closely resemble marble statues. 
I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, David, come on, you've seen him. David, you're up here leading worship. You've seen a few of those folks. I have a feeling when David's worshiping, God has a smile on his face. It's the same smile he has on his face when I'm worshiping, but for different reasons, all right? (laughs) But but here's what I say. When, When I am echoing the glory and greatness of God, God receives great joy because you know why? He's worthy of my praise and worship. And I receive great joy because you're ready for this. I'm fulfilling the identity that's in my DNA. I was made to be a lover of Jesus. I was made to worship the Lord. I am made that when people look at us, they see something about the character of God. Now, let me, let me hit something on here. The Bible says we can understand God by looking at nature. I, I want to suggest something. We're, how many you know we're part of the created realm? Here's a question for each of us. What does your life reveal about the invisible characteristics of God? In other words, the creation reveals his glory. So how are we revealing the glory of God on a daily basis? How many of you know people, if I'm, a, if I'm a statue, if I'm imaging God, that's the privilege I have, image God. When people see you, what is it about you and me that points them to the greatness of God? It's a great question, isn't it? Like if you're, if you're an art connoisseur and you go up to the Chicago Museum of Art, right? And you walk by and you just go, wow. I see sophisticated art lovers, they'll stand there and they'll just go. <laughs> All right, what are they doing? They're amazed at the greatness of how that image was captured. Here's the point, like every day we have art connoisseurs in public and they're looking at me. Oh, you're Pastor Ron. You're Pastor over at that, you know, Wild Stones Church, all right? Um, and they're checking you out. They're checking you out. And what are they looking at? Does he really look like God? Or does he look like something lesser? Does he look like that picture his three-year-old colored? All right? So how do we make the invisible qualities of God known through our visible acts? Well, how about the way we love each other? How about the way I love my wife? How about the way I raise my kids? How about, you know, when they give me the wrong amount of money at the store, I don't go, praise the Lord, he just blessed me with a 20. No, you go, hey, this is, it was only supposed to be 2.95 and you gave me a 20, oh my gosh. Oh. Those are those little moments where people go, whoa. And then they say, unsafe people say stuff like this. Dude, there's just some vibe about you. I mean, there's just like this aura around you. <laughs> You're just so positive. You're like, Mr. Positive. And you're like, no, I'm made in the image of God. What you're seeing is the glory of God. It's Jesus. And we would have, I, I mean, you know, just having a big family is a sign and a wonder. We'd be checking out a strike of Ventil. People were like, wow, I don't know how you do it. I only have one and I'm on Xanax and oh my God. <laughs> I mean, they would say, they would like say things out loud at the checkout counter, like when we're going through it. And you know what we'd say? We'd just look at them and we'd go, it's Jesus. Sign and a wonder. Think about this. Part of your identity is to image forth the greatness of God. That's why, you know, I highlighted Hotam and Chelsea, not because they wanted to be highlighted or they knew I was going to highlight them. But you know what? We should be pointing out in people's lives the characteristics of God that we see. Like, you know what's one characteristic of God? You ready for this? Extravagant generosity. Yeah. 
That does not make sense anywhere in the world. But when Christians are extravagantly generous, people just go, wow, really? You did what? You gave what? You, did, you helped them with what? What are we doing? How I many of you know God's extravagantly generous? He sent his son to die for us when we were dead in sin. Does this make sense to anybody? Like, when we come to church and we don't treat each other nice, we're like taking the, the image of God and we're just tar and feathering it. I mean, we're just trampling it. When we're not nice to one another, we're not kind to one another, we're not thoughtful, we're not, we're not serving, uh, we just, we're just trampling the glory of God. And God, if God's an art connoisseur, think about this, if God's an art connoisseur and this is an art museum where God's coming through to check out the paintings and the sculptures to reflect his glory. He's going, oh, lovely. Oh, beautiful. Oh, look at this. I love it. Yeah. He's looking and he comes, what is, no, I'm not picking on your empty seat. What is this? Uh, because the image is so distorted. So see, part we're going to talk in the weeks to come about how we, how we move into the full restoration of the image that Jesus had to come to restore for us and what that looks like and how we move in it. But in the meantime, we got a lot of stuff we talked about today. When I see you, I should remember God and reverence him. And check this out. When I look at you, it should call into my remembrance how great God is. You know, John Maxwell teaches something. He says, when he looks at people, he sees them with a 10, number 10 on their forehead. How many of you read that book? It's a good book. In other words, when he looks at someone and sees him with a number 10 on a scale of zero to 10, he's saying, that's a 10, that's an awesome person. And you know what, when you believe in people, they tend to rise to the occasion. They, when you believe in someone, they tend to be the best that they can be. So how about this? We don't have to make up numbers to put on people's heads. You're already tens because you're made in the image and likeness of God. And your masterpieces, you're one of a kind. So we don't have to do these fake mind games or anything like that, not that I'm dissing on John Maxwell, but I'm just saying, we should look at each other through the eyes of the gospel and realize the incredible purpose, identity, beauty, gifting, anointing, purpose in terms of calling on our lives, that each one of us, ready for this, you have not because of anything that you've done, you haven't had to perform for it, you are it. Every single baby is a masterpiece, no matter the anomalies, defects, etc., is a masterpiece created not primarily for me and you, but for the glory of God. And part of the glory is in how we care for the masterpiece. There's some meaty stuff here to think about. Now, if I wish I could have preached this message to every single legislator before we started talking about abortion. Because some of them, I think, aren't going to church. And some churches aren't talking about these things. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Because if you have a good theology of identity, you'll make really great legislative decisions. If you have a lousy theology of identity, you'll fall into some really bad humanistic thinking, situational ethics and the like, and you'll end up doing just the opposite. Now listen, the Bible says I call heaven and earth to witness what we're doing and the way we're living our lives. I just gotta put this in here. How we live matters. We're gonna be without excuse. So how I treat you matters. So I need, to, I need to ask apology right now. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. I'm serious. If I wounded anybody through my word moron, forgive me. Come talk to me. And, 
See, I always said, you know, when my dad was born, he's a Ron. I'm Ron Jr. I'm, a, I'm more Ron. There's more Rons that came after me as well. Um, so that word... <laughs> so that word's not offensive to me. And if there's a radical feminist in the house today and I totally offended you, and you're like, I'm never coming back, please forgive me because I should not have called you that. You're a masterpiece as well. I just get a little fired up sometimes and I get to preach to the, oh, I get to preach to the choir here and I, it makes me feel better. But anyway, uh, for any fleshy stuff, let it fall off. That was just wrong. Let me just say something else. We need to stop pulling down statues. And let me tell you why. If we made statues for perfect people, there would be none. Every single statue was there because somebody did something good, at least something. So you don't focus on the statue, on what somebody did wrong. You focus on the statue, you ask questions, you go, what did they do right? This is really important. What did they do right? Because there's some things that they did right. Did they do everything right? Of course not we would have no statues, except for Jesus. We'd have statues of Jesus everywhere, and we're forbidden to do that, all right? No graven images, all right? Because he, uh, one last thing. I got two minutes, one last thing, this is important. Ten Commandments. God says, don't make any images to try to look like me. Remember that? Why did he say that? Because he's a spirit, and because any material sculpture, statue, painting, any material thing would distort who he is. But let me tell you another reason why he said that. Because he currently has 8 billion statues on planet Earth now. He doesn't need any more. You are his statue. You're his physical representation of what he's like. We're not the full representation, but we all share part of what the glory of God looks like. And that's really fun. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you this morning. Again, we've got some amazing people up here who just want to love on you and value you. And I'll tell you what, our hearts cry at Living Stones is everybody that walks through these doors, I, and I know some of you are dealing with serious challenges right now in your life. But I just want to tell you this, God loves you, we love you, the church family loves you, and uh, whatever it is that you're dealing with, there's people here that want to pray for you and pray with you. I also want to say this, there might be some folks here today that have never surrendered their life to Christ, never, never simply said, God, you made me and I belong to you. And this is a great morning. It's so simple just to say, you know, I want to give my life to the Lord. I, I want to discover the purpose for which I was created. It's so simple and so easy. But you've got to confess it with your mouth and you've got to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you and that he wants to be your Lord and you've got to invite him into your heart. So I just pray if there's anybody here and you've never, ever done that, just come on up and just talk to somebody. Say, hey, pastor talked about that. I need, I need to do that. I, I, need to, I need to publicly give my life to Jesus Christ. And people will be here just to encourage you and celebrate with you and pray with you. Father, thank you for these amazing truths that you've given to us. Lord, may we put them in our hearts and may we treasure them. And Lord, may we live them with all of our lives. What a privilege to manifest your greatness. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to show a world that's watching the honor and the glory and the beauty and the power and the greatness of who you are when they look at us. Lord, what a privilege. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, 
Amen. Amen. Hey, have an incredible week. All right, we love you. If you need prayer, come on down. If you're brand new, come on down. I want to meet you, all right? <laughs>